Hi, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Mikey Silva. And this is Fall Risk. So hello, listeners. Welcome back to Fall Risk. Super special episode coming at you today. It is Fall Risk in the in the afternoon. We're in the afternoon, right? Yeah, Fall, yeah. Fall Risk <laughs> in the afternoon with the one and only Mike Silva. How you doing, Mikey? Wow, what an intro. I'm super excited <laughs> to chat today. And uh, yeah, just excited to see where this goes. Cool, cool, cool. I mean, first of all, thank you for having me or like, thank you for, for coming on. I know we talked about this a little while ago and then stuff, life happened and things got crazy. And now we're finally here. We're finally having this conversation. So thank you right off the bat. Um, a little bit of preference or uh, a little bit of a preface for everybody that is listening right now. I've known you for almost a decade now. Like I'm pretty sure it's coming up on 10 years. Uh, you were one of my first tunnel instructors back in the day. You and um you and Ryan Risberg at the Denver tunnel when it was still Sky Venture. Time fucking flies, man. <laughs> it is absolutely wild. Isn't a that lot crazy? Happens in a decade. Yeah, yeah. And to think uh back with Ryan too and coaching yeah. in those days was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Uh can you can you just to start like tell me a little bit about how much time you've you've had in the sport of flying both like indoor and and outdoor like list your credentials like the, the many accolades that you have Oh man <laughs> um this is a good question I love flying and the thing I always say is like if you like flying we're going to get along and be friends that's like been my motto for life for a long time um uh, I First flew in the flyaway Las Vegas wind tunnel when I was 13 on a family vacation from Denver uh, to Vegas. And uh, uh, that was a crazy experience. I don't really remember how I did, but I was really excited. And that was my first body flight experience. And then um, ended up going to college in Las Vegas and worked at that flyaway wind tunnel very haphazardly, super lucky. And that was in about 2004. So I was a tunnel instructor first, starting in 2004 when I was a freshman in college, and then um, basically worked in the tunnel from almost straight, other than some injuries I had from about 2004 to 2020, oh, dang. halfway through 2020. So a uh, long time, like 16-ish yeah. 16 years. 16 years, yeah. Yeah, 16 years straight. That's insane. And... Uh, yeah, it's just been a long time. And I started skydiving in 2005 mm -hmm. um, and have been jumping and flying ever since. I would say it's uh, been a consuming, happy, fun-making event for me and just been uh, part of my identity as well. I've absolutely loved it since day one, mm -hmm. everything about it. You're a lifer then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm approaching <laughs> being active in the sport. Uh for uh more than half my life that was gonna be my next question is like how old are you like so it's been more than almost half your life like that's that's insane yeah i uh, just turned 38 in april so yes. long time that's crazy <laughs> all of your adult life though you've been doing this yes yeah. all my adult life okay um how many jumps are you currently at skydiving wise i estimate around four thousand. And I say estimate, I got through D license and got on the boogie tour and had all kinds of crazy opportunities. Mm -hmm. But about when I started doing that, I, I 
didn't log jumps as actively. Okay. But looking back on it and reading through my old stuff, I totally wish I would have. It's hilarious. That's pretty imp- that's pretty impressive for just fun jumps though. 4000 fun jumps. I would say I would say I'm very lucky yeah. that I've done I could count on maybe two hands the amount of AFF jumps I've done. Mhm. And the rest have been fun jumps or load organizing or free fly or a lot of big way. Yeah. A lot of big way skydives. That's awesome. Um, if you had to guess though, in 16, I know this is kind of a huge number in 16 years, how much tumble time do you think you've done? And I include like, include all of this, not just flying, like actually being in the wind, standing in the wind, all that stuff. Um, crazy question. And I don't really have a good answer for that. (laughs) Um, I think a really crazy metric I can, I can put some more exact numbers to. Just because it was controllable Mm -hmm. is if I, if I just guessed on how much demo flight time I have, Yeah, it's like, if I did, you know, four demos a day, Mm -hmm. five days a week for 16 years, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple hundred hours. Mm -hmm. I have more flight time and demo time than most drop zones have cumulatively. Isn't that fun? And that's not including leagues or coaching or one-on-one training or FITP or instructor training or staff flight time. It's probably in like the hundreds of thousands somewhere, somewhere in there. I don't know if it's that much. It's, it's gotta be like 30 or 40,000 flight hours. It's gotta be a lot. Well, so we did the math, we did the math a little while ago, like three years on our end was like. 2000 and we did the math the same way you just did where it was like you take four classes four half hour long classes five times a week you know over the course of 52 weeks uh, over a year you know and then you times that by i think it ended up being like almost 2000 hours like in three years so like i guess i guess maybe like 50 50 000 seems pretty accurate somewhere in there yeah like yeah and then yeah on top of that like at that's just like working hours that's not all that other other stuff you were talking about either like so somewhere in like <laughs> The upper 50s, 60,000, 60, hours. That's so nuts. We used to have to record our staff flight sessions on DVDs in the Sky Venture <laughs> Colorado days. And Josh and I, my teammate Josh from Collective, you did like yeah. an episode with him prior. We would put the DVD in and go fly staff flight time. And mm-hmm. there was a session once where we were playing with roof tricks and maneuvers and like running the turn vanes and it was topped mm-hmm. out. I think they lasted like an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. (laughs) And we had one staff flight session where we put in a brand new DVD. Uh And then when we got out, it had stopped recording. And like, (laughs) we weren't even in frame of the video the entire time to record it. We spent over an hour and 15 minutes, popped out flying in the roof (laughs) and like, just had no idea how long we were there. That used to be our, in the golden days, used to be like what our work days were like. The golden age. And in the uh, <laughs> in the occasional one-offs where we weren't slammed with work, that would happen mm-hmm. once in a blue moon. That's cool. In the golden age, the golden age <laughs> of indoor indoor skydiving. <laughs> um, yeah. do you know how many tunnels you've been to total? I'm clicking on 40. I think I'm 37 right now. Are they all are they all in the US or have they been international yeah. too? Okay. All US. All right. Cool. Cool. What made you want to get into all this like tunnel flying and skydiving? Like it was a long time ago, but like what, what, how did you go from a teenager who had done it one time to doing it for your entire young adult life? That's awesome. So I, uh, my dad was a a military 
helicopter pilot in the army and for the police and for the news station. So I grew up around helicopters and airports and Buckley Air Force Base. And my mom was a gymnast and a dancer and loved trampolines and diving. So I grew up doing gymnastics and and diving and martial arts, like all these fun, like full body awareness sports. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was when I was born, I think that it was like the first week I was born, I was in a car seat in the back of my dad's helicopter doing new shows like less than a week old. OK. And he spent a lot of time doing film work for the news uh, in Colorado. Uh-huh. And he actually was really good friends with uh, Jeff Sands who was the owner of Mile High, uh, the original owner of Scott, uh, Scott of Mile High. And my dad would like film him jumping over the Boulder Boulder Marathon and they okay. won Emmys for it. And so my dad was flying the helicopter around Jeff Sands with a big like weighted American flag landing in the football stadium of CU and they would win Emmys and it was like a prestigious marathon and a, a, a big event in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So I like grew up around that. And I remember watching skydivers land when I was at the airport. And when we go fly in the helicopter, which is crazy to say, but I would like be in the helicopter as a little kid a lot. Mm-hmm. I would, uh, I remember like seeing the skydivers land. And I remember being a little kid with my hands on the window <laughs> thinking like, if I just like push this door open, I could jump, I could jump out. Yeah. And I was like a toddler thinking mm-hmm. about that. It's it was crazy. Like I grew up knowing about skydiving and I always knew it was a thing and I always knew I wanted to do it. And um, I was going to or I'm, I'm speculating on some of this, but I I was trying to do and my, my family was trying to set me up with a tandem with Jeff mm-hmm. as a minor, like oh, when I was okay. very young. And then he passed away in a biplane accident and then it just didn't happen. And so shortly after that is when my dad took us to go to Vegas. And that's when I flew in the wind tunnel. And so at that point, like what, what was going through your mind? Was it something you were like, I'm going to do this someday? Or was it more of a, this was a really cool experience. (laughs) And then it came back later. It kind of, you know, in high school was just busy with, you know, high school life and sports and gymnastics. And then Uh When I went to college and had uh, uh, moved into the dorms, my Mm -hmm. neighbor across the hallway uh, was wearing a Flyway Las Vegas shirt. And as I was moving in to my Mm -hmm. college at UNLV to study hospitality and administration, Mm -hmm. he was wearing a shirt that said Flyaway. And I was like, hey, I've been there when I was a few years ago when I was on vacation. And he's like, I work there. Do you want to go? And I was like, sure. And he's like, I got free passes. So I went in like that same day I moved into college, flew. He introduced me to the owners, uh, Keith and Chris Fields. He's the brothers that uh, still own it to this day. Well, now it's Keith. His brother passed away. But uh, I got introduced. And then, you know, about halfway into that semester, applied and got a job because they were hiring. Just completely random. Okay. Had no experience in skydiving or wind tunnel outside of, you know, uh, flying as a customer in that old tunnel at 13. And I just got hired and you just show up every day. And whenever there was open time, you would fly for, for you just fly yeah. like in the tunnel. They just put you in a class, every class that was open for mm-hmm. a month. And then once you could kind of fly, they start teaching you how to walk and do stuff. And it's, it was crazy. So that's how I got wow. started. Just random luck, just dumb luck. <laughs> 
Isn't that crazy how that happens? Like you just, it's not even something you think about. You just sort of like, yeah, let's try it. Let's do it. Like, let's give it a shot. And then it's just suddenly is now your life. It, yeah, it's not like I made a choice to do it. I just yeah. loved it and it felt right. And I went with it and it yeah. was like, it's not even like I went with it. I was just like, this is great. And then yep. the next thing led to another. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that so hard, like so hard. I didn't even, I didn't know that. Like that is not something I've ever heard you talk about like ever. Uh, but that is super wow. cool. Cause my experience was just like that. My parents made me get a job. I didn't want to do it. I was like, that sounds like hard work. It sucks. And it just happened to be at the drop zone. Family friend got me the job and two months in like skydiving. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you get it. Yeah. It's crazy how it just falls into your lap. Like so many, so many of us that end up being like lifers. It That's how you, that's yeah. how we ended up in it. It's not something like we were like, we want to do this for this is something we wanted to do for forever, you know, like, or it's like our bucket list thing. It just happened. That's. I think I would have sucked it. At, I would have um, chased after skydiving no matter what. It just mm-hmm. ended up coming to me very early. Yeah, It was my first paid job was a tunnel instructor. What a cool first job. That was my first job ever. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Uh, well, I mean, that's a great transition, actually, because now I want to talk about Flyway Vegas. It's Flyway Vegas, right? That's how you... So Flyway Las Vegas is when I okay. started. All then right. um, they changed names to Vegas Indoor Skydiving. Okay. And that is what they are today. They're still open. They're still functioning. Um, freaking awesome place. Their motto okay. is share the love. Uh, love all my brothers and friends and sisters there, owners. It's like an absolutely incredible, amazing place to fly. If you are a fan of body flight and wind tunnels in particular, you owe it to yourself. And it's Vegas. When you do a trip there, go spend uh, an hour of your day going mm-hmm. to check out Vegas Indoor Skydiving. It is one of the coolest, craziest things you will ever do. And it's it's what I was raised on. So that's all I knew. It yeah. is so different. And <laughs> dare I say, in many ways, in the ways that matter better than yeah. what you're seeing uh, elsewhere. I love it. It was crazy. Okay. All right. I mean, I've never been, I've seen photos and videos from you, like you sharing, you sharing your experiences and stuff like that, but it does look insane in comparison to what we know <laughs> as like, like indoor skydiving, it looks completely different. And I can only imagine the learning curve, like having to figure out, you know, just the space and how it all works and where, where's the prime spot to, to fly and, and all that stuff. Like, it's yeah. you know what I actually just saw, I just saw, um, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Has, has, Hasbullah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw that video like of him, of him and that tunnel. Yeah. So one thing that was just nuts there is you would like Hasbullah, you would fly regularly Mm -hmm. celebrities and famous people Mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. It's Vegas. I was on so many TV shows. I was on so (laughs) many film recordings, um, you know, because it was Las Vegas and it was an Mm -hmm. exciting, cool thing to do. And so that place would just randomly have people drop in and do crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember his little face or his face. He's just like, no, no, you're not going to take me away. No, don't. No. He's it's, like hanging on to somebody else. Like, no, don't. don't. Yeah. I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's loud. It's hot. It's big. It's like this yeah. crazy cave of a wind tunnel. It's, it's gnarly. So I'm, I'm curious, like during your time at, uh, fly away when it was still fly away. Um, what are, what was like the, 
what's the word I'm looking for? The um mindset there. Like, was it to fly? Was it to learn to fly? Was it to like sharpen your skills? Was it more of an entertainment thing? Like a fun, fun job? Like what was the atmosphere there like when you first started? It, it was the best. It was okay. so much fun. It was a family atmosphere. They cared about the experience. They cared about flying. They okay. cared about fun. They cared about coaching. Um, and it was just re a, a really great place to get started. Again, share the love. It was just an amazing, that was their motto. And they would just, we would open in the morning and have tourists walk in. It was predominantly first time flyers, like okay. 99 percent first-time flyers it was rare if someone came in for a second flight to learn like mm -hmm. a local or a jumper or a tourist that was wild and maybe okay. they'd get a second flight and then they'd leave forever and you wouldn't yeah. see them again it was crazy to get someone to coach like that didn't happen okay that wasn't a thing all right and so you just had a moment you had an hour with a class like a family or a small group of people to take them through the flight and they were just like it was like tunnel flight theater you were like mm -hmm. a performer with like jokes and like like dance moves and like crazy tricks you do with them in the in the tunnel and it was just this whole Vegas experience of like customer service to like have a good time and it was the prices were great the flight time was a great intro the experience was awesome um and you worked for tips so it was yeah. like there was an incredible amount of effort that was put in by the staff and the instructors to get good service because you would get tipped crazy. Okay. Like, and it was Vegas and poker chips yeah. and palms chips and like <laughs> hard rock poker chips and $100 bills. Mm -hmm. You would leave there getting tipped out incredibly well for the services you provided. And this was before high flights. Like when I started in a wind tunnel, the video upgrade you could buy was in VHS format. <laughs> you would, I would sign up your class and I would write your name, Sam B on a VHS <laughs> sticker and put it on a VHS tape. And there was like 10 VHSs in the driver booth yeah. and part of the driver duty. Oh my God. That's the whole thing you're talking about is driving, <laughs> but you would push the VHS tapes in and yeah. press record with like the customer's name on it. And then at the end of the flight, you'd like hand them their VHS tape. So that was <laughs> That was my era of tunnel. It was like VHS. We were selling VHS. And I wish I remember the prices, but I don't. <laughs> and uh, they'd come in and you do what was really crazy with the experience. They check in. You have to weigh people. Yeah. And the scale, what's so silly is it was the smartest scale we've ever had. It <laughs> was a height to weight scale okay. because the tunnel was so slow mm -hmm. that you wouldn't fly if you were not proportionate. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a really specific factor where they actually cared. They cared about the experience so much. We'd have to tell people like, if you don't fit on the scale, you're probably not going to fly just mm -hmm. because the wind's not powerful enough. And like, to give you a reference point for MSP, it was, it was probably 70%. Oh, okay. Was topped out. Oh, so wow. like a slow medium belly speed yeah. at a modern iFly was the topped out that okay. iFly, that flyway Las Vegas, well, Vegas under skydiving. And so you'd have to be very upfront and say like, listen, we want you to have a great time, but if you're not 
proportionate. You're not going to fly based on the suits we have. Yeah. So they come in, you'd have to weigh them. If you were over six feet, you could weigh like between 210 and 250 or something like that. And this is, mm-hmm. I'm just guessing. I It's been a long time since I was there. And if you're under six foot, then you couldn't weigh above 190 or 200 pounds, something like okay. that. So that was kind of like the scale, but you'd weigh them, you check them in. It was very precise. Like it needed mm-hmm. to be done well, or you wouldn't fly. And it, silly enough, it worked. It's really simple. Mm-hmm. Have a scale, write the number on it. Yep. And then they'd go up the stairs, you'd get them uh, through a classroom and uh, suit them up, take them in the tunnel. And what was really interesting is you could, they would do, you take a class of a max of 10 flyers. And how the tunnel would work, you'd take them all through class at the same time, gear them up all at the same time. But the tunnel would only fit five flyers at once with one instructor. Mm -hmm. And they'd walk into the tunnel and be standing around the outside of the airstream because it's a not wall-to-wall air tunnel. It's just a fan in the floor pushing wind up. Mm -hmm. And like the dad, the mom, the son, the older daughter would be standing on the edge. And you do three flights that were one minute each mm-hmm. for 15 minutes. Yep. And then they would get out and your wingman, your backup person would go degear them. Yep. And then you bring in the other half, the other five people and do three one minute flights. And that was your customer service experience. You'd fly, you'd only have 10 people at max. Only five people would be in the tunnel at once. They'd all do three one minute flights. And you'd let the first group out, let the second group in, do their three one minute flights. And that was it. There was like, that was it. One package that was sold ever. That's all yeah. people ever did ever. Made it easy. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so I, I correct me if I'm wrong. Safe to say this is probably where you learned all that customer service skill, like your skill set, essentially. Like you learned it in those, those first few years at Vegas. I, I think that that's been an art and mm-hmm. a craft that I've been working on my entire life. I think the customer service was honed an incredible amount there for yeah. dealing with first-time flyers and and service in a high-end environment. Okay. Um, be, just because of how busy it could get. We would show up and do 14-hour days. Yeah. Or instructors would do if if we had SEMA Auto Show that was like mm-hmm. at the convention next door, you'd yeah. have a thousand people walk in the front door that day. There'd be like a four-hour line, no reservations, first come, first serve only. <laughs> And you would just be like, oh man, it's Tuesday and I'm going to be here till 1 a.m. Jesus. And you would take like 13 classes or something insane. And that was, yeah, that was how that worked. So yeah, it was just back to back to back. And because the rewards of the tips were there and I think Mm -hmm. I was younger and healthier and a gymnast and like in good shape and it was super exciting. Um, you just pushed through and you like did a good job because, you know, people were counting on you mm-hmm. to do okay. a great job. It was crazy. Okay. So at what point though, did you make the switch to Colorado or to Sky Venture Colorado? So I was, I'm a Colorado native, born and raised. My whole family was there. And as I was uh, graduating in uh, 2008, I was looking for what was going to be the next stage of my life. And mm-hmm. During my college years, I was traveling to Colorado and we found out a wind tunnel was going to be opening in Lone Tree. And I was Mm -hmm. like, this is amazing. I actually got to go and fly. I don't remember which was first, but they were all in a really short time period. I flew in the uh, Sky Venture Paris Valley. Mm -hmm. I flew in Eloy 
and I flew in SkyVenture Colorado, I think like all in the all in like a six month period, visiting family and doing road trips from Vegas. Okay. So I'd spent from like 2004 to 2007, like just flying in that tunnel and getting into skydiving, never been to anything else. Mm -hmm. And then they started to open the, the sky venture tunnels, these wall to wall, faster tunnels with more laminar airflow. And so we were taking trips to go skydive and jump and try out these new tunnels. And I was just blown away. Mm -hmm. And so I knew sky venture Colorado was open. I had been, every time I go home, I would fly there and yeah. have fun with the family over like Christmas when I go home for break. And then I remember applying for a job there um, as I was coming close to my graduation and from UNLV from Las Vegas. And I sent a D or I sent a VHS tryout tape of like me flying classes and doing high flights and my demo and a resume. I sent that formally to the owners of Sky Venture Colorado. Um, I kind of had an in with the uh, the family that owned it. My dad was friends with one of the owners mm -hmm. uh, because they were both pilots. One of the owners was an airline pilot. Okay. And so he like gave them my resume and a VHS tape to Bob, Rusty, and one of the owners. And uh, I applied and it was very, very hard to get a job um, at the time. They would have like tryouts. Yeah. And it was just ridiculous. They'd have tryouts with a lot of people showing up. But I just submitted my video, went in, did an interview and like dressed up for it and uh, flew in the tunnel. And they ended up hiring me, uh, you know, after my first interview. And then the day I graduated, like that weekend, I just packed up all my stuff, drove to Colorado and was in the tunnel working like that Monday doing okay. my onboarding, which was super weird, by the way. Very Why? different. than. I was already doing high flights and free flying and okay. flying customers for years. Yeah. I had flown thousands of customers in a non-walled tunnel mm -hmm. um, prior to ever having a customer in an iFly mm -hmm. and so or a Sky Venture tunnel. And so I had a one-on-one -on -one FITP with Rusty Lewis. And in it was like four or five days. He ran me through the entire FITP in like 45 minutes to an hour a day for a couple of days. And I would do customer service and train on the POS. But I did the entire FITP, which should that's how it should have been with my weird intro. And uh, basically, like after five days of FITP was doing customer flights in the Sky Venture Tunnel. So I had everything crammed into five short days with sales stuff and and onboarding and it was just one-on-one -on -one with rusty and i there's okay. no one else in my fitp class yeah. and it was weird because i was doing high flights prior like mm -hmm. a week before and then i wasn't allowed to do high flights when i started because they wanted to see how i was acting and behaving yeah. and then like a few weeks after that i got signed off but i went through all the same stuff with rusty one-on-one -on -one, spotting yes. full flips full barrels super high catches mm -hmm. into the wall stuff like just crammed into like a mm -hmm. month and the fitp was five days and it, it was just a really weird thing <laughs> it, it and it weird because they couldn't apply the same tactics or rules with iba to me mm -hmm. i was already flying head down and doing flip twists before mm -hmm. I ever showed up. And it yep. was really crappy, by the way, super old school and big <laughs> suits, but I wasn't at a place of being spotted. So there was yep. like no spotting what I did. I, I learned to fly without ever being spotted ever. 
There <laughs> was no spotting the way you learned to fly away. Way back in the day. Yeah, and that was normal to me. Yeah. You figured out everything out on your own. How did things differ from there to to Vegas? Like how did the two places differ? Like it, I guess at what point did you become an instructor and a coach? You know, like when that mindset suddenly suddenly happened. You know, I I'd always loved teaching people, was whether it was gymnastics prior to that or martial arts, like I'd always loved being able to teach people. And um, in the tunnel, it was just awesome to get to use a better facility that had better temperature control and more Mm -hmm. wind speed um, to get them to move. And then people actually had an interest in coming back to fly again, whether it was skydivers or they had a kids league when I started there. They had Mm -hmm. an adult league when I started there. And so you get opportunities to be in the wind with people over and over again who would see your demo and then say, like, I want to I want to do some of that cool stuff. Can you help me? And so I just worked my way through the ranks of like instructor level one through four. Yeah. It was only static then. There was no dynamic. So you're just teaching belly backs at head down and transitions and then working with skydivers. And a lot, of, a lot of times it was really the kids league. The biggest opportunity you had to coach was the younger kids league flyers who um, you would just get time to spend with them, teaching them how to fly. And they were excited they weighed less, they were smaller. So it was just like a safer learning environment for a coach Mm -hmm. in hindsight to like get a good intro to spotting and teaching people. They were super pumped. They quite frankly took hits well and were younger and they were lighter and didn't weigh as much. And that's who you spent and grew a lot of your coaching time with. And so I think I grew into a coach. I would have to go look at my IBA ratings some of them are signed off by Jason Russell. A lot of them are Derek Vambashoden, Scott Levesque, Brad Cole, Rusty Lewis. Those are like my trainers and people who gave me a, a bunch of the ratings that I have. But I think from like 2008, when I started in Sky Venture, Colorado to 2010 was when I got through my four instructor level ratings and then started to progress to trainer. Okay. And back then it was like really, really hardcore and it was a big sign of like respect and achievement that if you got an upgrade in those ratings, I, uh, I remember when we were there, a bunch of the instructors, myself included, were like hitting the wall in our staff flight time and demo flights. And yeah. we got a wind speed restriction because we were able to control things flying unsafely. Mm-hmm. And so there was a period of time, I can't remember when, where we were limited to like a medium sip fly speed, like 80% or eight, it was like 88 or 90% in the Denver tunnel. Mm-hmm. And Rusty wouldn't let me fly faster than that until I could do a sit to sip front flip on level at that wind speed before he'd let me turn it up again. And that was for everything. I couldn't fly faster than that in my demo. I couldn't fly faster than that in staff time. And so I was limited to fly at 88%. I'm pretty sure it was that like until I could do a sit to sit front flip and maintain control. And it was like a really hard thing because we were still in bigger suits and I was a lot lighter Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, 14 years ago. I was gymnastics, Mike. (laughs) So so you wouldn't say that there's like a a moment or anything like that where you were like, I'm an instructor, I'm a trainer. It's just kind of something that naturally gradually happened and like, I'm just curious, I'm curious, like if there was a moment for you where you had that realization or if it was just something you just started naturally identifying as, because like, like, 
in everything that you do, like my, my knowledge of you is like, in everything you do, you're an instructor, you're a coach, like you're a teacher. Right. Um, and I'm just curious, like if it was always like that, or if it was just like you grew into it, or if it was like, there was a moment where you're like, this is what I want to do. You know, I'm just, I guess I'm just curious. I, I have a, a few that stand out a lot that were really crazy and I'll share like maybe a positive one and mm-hmm. one that was negative, but that I probably learned the most from, Okay, which was really crazy. Um, a really cool positive one is that I remember feeling accomplished as a coach when we went to the I Fly Rosemont competition. I forget what year it was, but Josh and I went and they had the big check. We won VFS and freestyle. And like, it was one of the only wind tunnel competitions I've ever been to that had a cash prize, which was absolutely <laughs> insane. Okay. But um, we had a great showing, which was, we should have done and was expected. We trained really hard. But then what was crazy is every team that podiumed in the VFS, like two-way for every category, were all students that we trained. <laughs> okay. So there were, it was Eagle Bear, us, Epiphany, uh, yeah, like so many teams, every category, like intermediate, advanced, and open, mm-hmm. everyone that podiumed at that event that had like nationally traveled attendance, a huge competition, and cash prizes. Every team that podiumed in VFS were our students. That's super cool. Like the entire port. So that's nuts. 18 people that were there that podiumed. <laughs> Nine two-way teams were all our students. That's crazy. Like, so you're like in all the categories, all of the yeah. people that, oh my God, that's nuts. Yeah. It, it, that was, re- that was like a crazy, crazy moment. Uh-huh. And I just felt like, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of too, as we were transitioning where a lot of my students were becoming way better trick flyers and freestyle flyers than I'll ever be. And that was just neat to see, like, I have helped so many people become really, really good and safe at this and have a passion and a love for it and think about it in like a good way. Um, so that, that was a really awesome one. And then one that was like kind of hard on me was like a coaching conversation at Denver with an adult league flyer where he, this was like one of those coaching customer service things that I didn't realize I wasn't very, uh, good at, at the time and have been working on it ever since. But I was talking to and debriefing a group of, I, it was probably one of my league nights where I would have, you know, like six people come and split an hour. Mm-hmm. And I always at the end would have half an hour to give pros and cons and next level drills and make notes for people. And I remember uh, this one flyer who's like a really good friend of mine, but he like called me out and said like, Hey Mike, like the way you talked about stuff tonight, it just like made me feel like you forgot about me or I wasn't included and like okay. you were ignoring me. And it was just like this really, it really like affected me a lot. I felt like hurt because I really do care about how people do and their success in the sport and life and just having fun. And I felt like I failed. And and as I thought about it, I realized how little awareness I had of communicating to groups of people when it came to organizing, Mm -hmm. like load organizing, tunnel organizing, coaching, my job now where I just didn't have the awareness of like feeling people get left behind. And it it was like one of the most formative things I'd ever heard about. And I think, you know, that that was a really crazy 
conversation to just be aware of how people are feeling in groups when you're talking to them about something they love. And with tunnel flying and skydiving, like that is all the time. Mm -hmm. If you're not thinking of the group as a whole and being aware of like people's feelings and how you're making an example out of them, good or bad, then it was like a huge lesson to be learned. And I think that was one of, that was a huge flipping point of me being a coach was like how to communicate better and more positively and effectively to groups of people in a concise way. Um, so that, that was a crazy one. I mean, thanks. Thank you for like sharing that. Cause that's not easy to like put your, put your faults out there, like for everyone to hear, like, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, that's, those are like the, the formative, the formative experiences that we have that push us forward. You know, you either, you either have an experience like that and you are, you stay exactly in the same place or you move forward. It's not like, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you either become better from that or you stay the the exact same, uh, for lack of a, you know, for piece of shit, you know, you know what I mean? Like you either, you totally. either, you either stay exactly in that same mindset or you push forward and make yourself better. Right. Um, I think that there's a lot of people out there, especially with like the advent of like social media and the advent of like, um, accessibility, like in the sport, like there's a lot of people that have a tendency to, to be, to, to not be able to take criticism like that, or to take feedback like that is inherently negative like that and, and use it to shape themselves in a, in a way that's like better for them and better for everybody else they're, they're interacting with. And, and there's a lot of people that, that struggle with that, that are, that are struggling with that, that task. Um, so it's, imp- I think I personally speaking, I think it's important for people like of your caliber to share stories like that so that people <laughs> who are in this mindset or who are just learning or in the beginning stages of being an instructor or being a coach, like it's important for them to realize like you've had those experiences and you, the reason you're where you are is because you took those experiences that were hard to deal with and turned it into something better for yourself and like kept on your progression. You know, like if you want to be this level and you want to be this good and this successful at what it is like you're trying to do, like you have to be able to adapt and go with the, you know what I mean? Like you have to be adaptable. That's like one thing I would say, I mean, not to get too far into it, like to a, to a head of like, you know, the rundown here, but that's one thing that I took away from my time learning under you was being adaptable. Like you have to be adaptable. You have to change. You have to be able to like change things on the fly and like have a million tricks in your pocket and, and like deal with conflicts as they arise. Like that might be one of the most important lessons I think I've ever learned from you just for my personal, you know, mindset and skill set, but so I, I really appreciate that. And I would just highlight it. And I love talking about it for coaches and skydiving or anywhere in life, whether it's wind tunnel or whatever it is, if you're a teacher and teaching someone, um, I, I feel like I didn't have a, I had a unique intro in learning to fly without being spotted where I would learn the wrong thing. If there was 12 ways to do a front flip, right. Mm-hmm. or excuse me, 12 ways to do it wrong. And one way to do it right. I did all 12 ways wrong and <laughs> flew out of the wind and like smashed my face on the wall or fell 10 feet on my neck or my arm. Mm-hmm. And then was like, Oh, that sucked. And then yeah. I figure out the right way. And I found myself in the, in, in time being like, Hey, I can see you about to do this a funky way. You're going to mm-hmm. have weird drive or you're not rocking, or you have an arm position that's going to create drive. You don't want to do that. I can tell because I've done it wrong before. I've done this wrong before. Mm -hmm. Here's a better way to think about it and do it that way. 
Yeah. And so I always said, you know, learn from my mistakes to help you get better. Mm-hmm. And I'd say there along the way, I had um, uh, a person in Vegas teach me about something. They were like uh, an educator about a concept called differentiated instruction. And okay. so I applied that to all of my coaching once I started to learn about this concept. But it basically says it's a differentiated instruction is a teaching approach that tailors instruction to students' different learning needs. Okay. And it lets students show you what they know in different ways. And so that was like an educational concept that teachers learned to work with students in a variety of ways. And I started thinking about that in the tunnel in more of a physical environment. And so like a high level coaching example that I have is like people understand things differently and they learn differently. And I have to, as a good coach, explain it differently or explain it better. So like one of my pet peeves is when someone says, oh, you know, to go backwards, like bend your legs. And if they don't know how to describe that in like 50 different ways, Mm -hmm. you could bring your knees together more. You could squeeze your legs more. You could bend at the hips. Like there's so many ways to describe that exact same thing to someone that you need to be able to say it in a way that they would learn. So there's a differentiated instruction application to communicating things with words that I think a lot of people lack um, Mm -hmm. or could be much better at in the tunnel or skydiving or anywhere. But then there's also differentiated instruction from a, a like a pathway or technique. So a big example would be, um, and I don't even think this happens anymore, but people struggle to learn static head down. And the way they teach it is on the net and you grab the net and you lift up. But there are a lot of people I came in contact with that would have neck issues or head issues. And so it was really painful for them or their hands hurt grabbing the net, or they just needed something else to try instead of beating a dead horse. So I, I'm the first person I've, and maybe this has been done before, but I'd never seen it until I'd done it was I would have people practice wall walking on the hand, walking on the wall, like from mm-hmm. a backfly, And then I would slowly bring the wind up. So they would be like head down on the wall. And then I would just grab their hands off the wall and bring them off the wall to fly. And I've taught a lot of students to fly static head down without, without ever grabbing the net. Okay. So like that's an application of differentiated instruction that worked fantastically for (laughs) some people there where they just needed a different approach. But I don't know. I love sharing that. That's what makes me think about like sharing experiences with learning and like feeling Uh like a coach. We could, we could talk, I mean, we could dedicate an entire episode just to that theory. And like, maybe, you know, cause we've talked about it. We've talked about it in the past, like maybe having you and Josh, like, and I'll just be the moderator (laughs) and keep things on task. Just let, letting you and Josh come on and talk about, you know, your different methodologies with that. Like that would be, that would be interesting. And I think people would enjoy that. So yeah, we could do a whole episode (laughs) on coaching technique and coaching pathway. Yep. I agree. Um, Moving on though, like let's talk about the boogie circuit. You've already mentioned that once towards the mm. beginning of this episode, the boogie circuit at Sky Venture Colorado. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on what that program was? Yeah, man. So the golden era of wind tunnels. This was a I'm very, <laughs> very grateful. The boogie circuit with Sky Venture Colorado was a period of time where wind tunnel instructors who had an AFFI and 
and a D license and were high level instructors were paid to go on the road in the Sky Venture Mobile and skydive as load organizers and do fun jumps to sell wind tunnel time. I got paid and had insurance and sold coaching to go skydive and do fun jumps. Yeah. Like at, I bet 60 drop zones in the U.S. Arizona, Texas, California, Florida. Yeah. That is uh, Baldwin, Wisconsin, yep. Baldwin, Wisconsin, Skydive Twin Cities, <laughs> Kansas, like all these different places, couch freaks, like we got to do the, do what we did best. And it was just a really cool period of time where, and I'm talking like a month, you'd go leave on a month long road trip and go to four different boogies and do uh, a lot of jumps mm-hmm. back to back to back. I think my biggest one was we visited Spaceland uh, with Zach Sable. I went yep. to Spaceland with Zach. And, uh, we were there for like four or five days. And I think I did 13 to 15 jumps a day for five days straight, just doing free fly load organizing and coaching. And then at the end of it, I think we both sold somewhere like 30 hours of tunnel time each. Mm-hmm. We sold 60 hours of tunnel time by going free flying coaching. And I remember Zach and I, uh, goal, he's like one of the craziest head up flyers ever. But we would jump out with new groups of people and just see if we could high five everyone on the load that would, you know, the load would explode. There wasn't a lot of tunnel times then or a lot of tunnel time then. And it was just crazy to move around the sky and for people to see what a wind tunnel could help you achieve and learn with good Mm -hmm. coaching in a short period of time. And uh, I did that all over the country for many years. I think 2010 until we got bought out by iFly in like 2013. So mm-hmm. three, three-ish years I had yep. of going through that period pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And I probably did five to 600 jumps a year. Yeah. I have a video of the year, um, or I put together a video of the year, the last year that you and Jordan Lamont came out. Um, and it's just us like, it's just us having a great time. Like it's just us yeah. doing a bunch of weird free flying and angle and like, like tracking jumps. Um, yeah. Like you guys came three years in a row. And I remember uh, it wasn't the first year because the first year, this must have been in 2010. Risberg and Zach came yeah, out, I think, the first, were the first year. year. Yep. And then it was you and Jordan the, the next two years after that. Like, there are so yeah. many good memories from those days at our drop zone. Just on my end, like, the Sharpie tattoos <laughs> and the duck drop and the crazy. Uh, you like- share those on your <laughs> podcast comments later <laughs> so people will see. The Sharpie. I got to go dig through the archives to find those. Like, um. But then like the, you know, the sunglasses thing, we, the sup girl, like that's where sup girl kind of like evolved from. Cause that was something you started saying to all of us or like introduced to all of us when you guys came out for the first couple of times. So, so there's so many good things attached to that. Um, you've talked a little bit about it, but like, how did that experience impact your skydiving career? Like how did, how did going on that boogie circuit you know, year after year, like how did that impact your skydiving career? Cause like you've, you've already established, like you got to go to a whole bunch of different places and meet all these new people and teach all these new people. And, and, and you know what I mean? Like that's, that is a, that is an experience that very, very, a very small group of people, a subcategory of people in skydiving actually get to have like, of, I would say a vast majority of skydivers can't travel like that and they don't ever get to have those experiences. Um, 
except for maybe later in life when they're a little bit more, you know, just established as like human beings and adults, you know? So especially to have that so young, like that experience so young, like how did that impact your skydiving career? Like how you, what you want to do with skydiving or where you went with skydiving? Well, there's so much to it. I think mostly it's, we all just want to have a really good time and be safe. Everyone loves getting like their first stock head down or starting to nail exits or starting to build bigger formations. You're doing, you know, two plane formations. People love to jump. That was like the theme I learned everywhere. And they're craving good coaching. They're craving good feedback and they crave it in a way that like is positive and helps them get better. Yeah. And something you touched on that was crazy with like the tattoos, the sunglasses, the coaching. It was about like building community and having fun. Mm-hmm. And when you went to a place where like the staff and the coaches were taken care of well and had great attitudes, then the community was built and the fun was built to like let newbies and new people come in and get better. But I mean, man, so much to learn. It was an incredible amount of pressure going to different places every weekend, back to back to back. You'd never been there before. You'd never landed there. You didn't know the personalities or the canopy traffic or the aircraft particulars mm-hmm. or the door, like how manifests worked or who needed what coaching. And so you just, you know, you'd go to a new location and they'd have like player cards or they would have posters of your stats and what you did. So there are all yeah. these expectations of you to perform and then you had to go and like make people happy on jumps by being a good coach so i would have to without ever seeing people's flying at all be able to speak to them and figure out where their skill set was fairly and sometimes people are very good at explaining their skill set and sometimes they are not i'm putting this nicely yep Sometimes they are not. It's and fair. I would have to read the bullshit meter and yeah. the safety meter to protect everyone, my reputation, my job, the the drop zone, what we were doing. And it was like really serious. And so after doing the, you know, four, four or five, six hundred jumps a year for three years straight of just this, you got to a point where you could show up and like put together small group free fly or small group angle or potentially organize a full plane load, you know, big way training jump. And like make it happen safely at a place you've never been to, mm-hmm. never been on jump run before or known what the the common wind conditions and weather conditions were like, landing direction. And then you had to set the example of how to function properly. And it and I'd go hard and party and have fun at night and have drinks and then be up in the morning cleaning up the trash and helping the loaders and like cleaning the property like it was crazy. It was mm-hmm. such an intense period of life, but it, what it did for my flying and skydiving is it made my awareness and body flight and safety with the canopy that I was on second nature that became automatic fly by wire behind the scenes thing where mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about skydiving, coaching, safety, body flight, that that's so ingrained in my DNA yeah. now that that isn't even something I think about. I just operate in a flight body flight environment without thinking because what I'm thinking about is this student going to have fun landing and what's the coaching debrief I'm going to give him with how he's taking a sit dock or his approach or was this flyer tracking up jump run or how am I going to get through the pattern first to land to video people to get their canopies on frame. Like that's, that's what I'm having to worry about to provide a good experience and then pack 
and then sell them time and run their credit card and then give them the video and mm-hmm. then prep the next load. Yeah. So like the stuff I had to do to operate in that professional space, yeah. um, that's what the boogie tour gave me where that's my normal now, mm-hmm. or that could be my normal. I enjoy it more a little these days and pay for jump tickets to do what I want for the most part, but I can operate at a level where I'm providing a elite coaching service and load organizing service if needed. And so it, what it did, it made skydiving so fun for me. I, I feel like for me, it's a very enjoyable thing now where I get to do it. To, it's like the coolest thing in the world, skydiving mm-hmm. by a million miles. And now I get to go and do it in a stress-free way. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's a, it's a super unique experience and uh, nobody like, nobody gets to have that experience nobody like you're you're one of like 20 people 20 if that yeah. 20 20 people who have ever had that experience or something even remotely similar i mean i i would i suppose like professional skydivers who travel around like coaching and like you know in their in their areas of expertise like are, yeah but none similar... of them work in a tunnel that yeah. is supporting them to do it with a... yeah. so it, it was just it was a crazy experience and mm-hmm. i think i very greatly think this should still exist for the right people. I am pushing for it in the communities I work in to exist again. Um, There's friends of ours that are perfectly poised to take up this role when it happens, but, but, you know, for the sport to grow, for more people to get into it, there needs to be tunnel operators and coaches and organizers that bring people from the tunnel to the sky and that also bring people from the sky to the tunnel. Yeah. We all love body flying. You don't have to do one to enjoy the other, but it's really cool to connect to everyone. And the tunnel is a great place to to do that. And it's a great way to introduce skydiving to people who would never think about it otherwise. Yeah. Can you imagine how absolutely, like how revolutionized our sport would be if that had continued, but on a wider scale, you know, like with the advent of like, can you imagine how, how, how much different it would, I'm, this is kind of a rhetorical question, but like, can you imagine how fucking different everything would look just across the country? If like, I mean, not to slam iFly, but like if I, if iFly had like continued on with a program like that and sent people out into the world to just do that you know, year round. Oh man, we don't have to get into it. (laughs) I, so I, I'll have to, so what would happen is I got a really cool experience this weekend at STC. Mm -hmm. I was on the plane, shout out to my buddy, Sam Stenzel. Yeah. (laughs) I was on the plane with Sam doing his first solo jumps. And, uh, what it, what would it have done? It would have produced a bunch of awesome people that love the sport that were spending money and yeah. having fun and bringing energy from coaches like you and I who have, mm-hmm. you know, like you have crazy skydive experience. I have crazy tunnel experience, but together we got to mm-hmm. influence these young kids to like have a great intro to it where he was, he was set up and and I wish and would hope everyone was set up this way to transition from yep. a tunnel student as a uh, a young kid learning, a young adult, into an adult skydiving mm-hmm. that just had like an amazing setup to where he just got to have fun, but also be highly, incredibly aware and safe yeah. and have no ego. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have that intro to skydiving. And there were some things that... uh you know, I was looking back on was unsafe, 
And there was a lot of pressure and ego involved, Mm -hmm. mostly because of me, right? Like having an ego, but I didn't have a lot of mentors that I could go talk to that transition from tunnel to skydiving and said, Hey, um, no one cares about how good you fly. Your job is to learn to be a safe skydiver. You need to learn all these different things with gear and safety and landing pattern and aircraft and other jumpers. Your job is to do exactly what the AFF instructor says forever until you get past (laughs) just being a jumper. And then once you get through that, you know, a license, maybe I'll come introduce you to a a two-way sit fly jump with proper equipment in the proper weather environment with, you know, all the right stuff to make it great. And so what would have happened if that boogie tour kept going? I think the state of the industry um, from a first timer perspective, a marketing perspective, an experience perspective would be bigger and better. Yeah. Where Where's the leagues going on now? Where's the VFS nights? What's happened to competitions? Where are people sharing time like it's just dried up mm-hmm. and i think that, that that is a problem and had that stuff continued and had leadership and management do a really great job of you know promoting coaches and supporting these things it would be a richer community a richer financial experience mm-hmm. that's a win-win to me i don't see I, anything wrong with that i totally agree with everything that you just said and like we yeah. don't I mean, everyone that's listening probably has a pretty good idea of of why we're saying what we're saying and where, like where it's coming from. I think everybody who knows, knows, you know, um, so we don't, we don't have to get too far into it, but I, I agree with everything you just said. Like, I wish there were still these, these opportunities out there for us to have to like be bigger and bolder and more, you know, like getting the entire, making the entire community a lot richer, you know, across the board, having more access to different programs and different leagues. Like you said, like having more opportunities to do different things and make everything a lot more accessible, you know, like there's so many different places that you can go. So with, with programs and, and, and opportunities like that. So I, I am totally on board with that. And just, I mean, just to shout out to Sam Stencil, because (laughs) he's one of my favorites he um he texted me immediately after he was done like that day and was like i just did aff (laughs) like that is so cool dude like i'm 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 bummed i'm I'm not there to like watch you watch you have this experience but it sounds like it went really well and he's um he texted me recently and was like i just discovered your podcast i've been i've been listening to all the episodes um he just seems like he's stoked on life right now so like and i asked him i was like do you want to do an episode at some point like i would be more than down to have you on there because he is He's got such a weird, like not a weird, but he's just got such an eclectic background of things. And he's a, he's a teenager. So he's been doing all these things prior to his adult, like official adult life. Um, This kid is so smart, so intelligent. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe that can, we can talk about that for a second. Like you talked about kid flyers a little while ago about how you taught, you taught kids. And that was one of the, the more special parts of, um, you know, learning, learning to coach and whatnot. Like, uh, Actually, that that segues perfectly into this. <laughs> what would you consider to be some of your greater achievements as an instructor, like both in the tunnel and in the sky? Like, um, it's evolved. Like, I used to be really proud of my accomplishments with competitions, and I still am, and freaking loved it. That was a motivating factor in the beginning was just to push my skill set and you know win events. But I think it evolved into like 
and I take much more enjoyment now from having like good tunnel sessions or good jumps with my students or just Mm -hmm. watching them have good tunnel experiences or good jumps. And then to take it a step further to see like the people I've teach or I've taught over the years start to share these big groundbreaking, like how to exit a sit fly jump. So Josh taught me the sit fly exit that works like hinge or opening the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I'll see my students who now elite level jumpers at the drop zone, sharing that with new people and taking other new people on coach jumps the right way from Mm -hmm. the beginning so that they have successful, safe jumps and like having a blast. And there's, there's, you know, like the way to truly master something is to teach it. That's how Mm -hmm. those students are going to hit a new level. And so it's just really neat, neat to see the community become elevated because of my actions. Um, I've got to teach a lot of cool people. Some of my biggest, best teams were, uh, I got to teach Eagle Bear. I love those guys out of Colorado, like (laughs) MFS flyers, uh, the brothers from Colorado who are just like, they're computer robots when it comes to VFS engineering. And that was neat to see them perform. They gave uh, Flight Shop a run for their money and beat them in some round. You're talking about... Andre, right? Andre yeah. and his brother. Yeah. Okay. And I love right. those kids. I love that family. I got to yep. teach them a, a, a lot. And man, they took it to a different level. I've got to spend a lot of time trick flying with, you know, younger flyers like Sydney Kennett and Sam and Chloe Chu. Um, I've had a big hand in some dynamic team development over the years. And it's just hard to think about because I've done some of those with Josh. I've done them with you know, other members of the tunnel community that I've just had a hand in. And so it's just been neat to like see those people when mostly I think I've spent a lot of time with Sydney over the years, but to just see someone take some of my thoughts and ideas about power and trick flying that I got from like Randy Ashley or Ray or Drew Steele back in the day or Mike Carney, like see the power tricks that we all love to do of just like super crazy, intense, explosive flip twisting spinning movement and like teach that to Sydney or Sam or or Chloe and then Mm -hmm. have them have them elevate it to a level where like at their prime of their life they're doing flip twist combinations and like things that weren't even on my radar of being something that was even possible and I think that's like really really cool like my students now are so much better at flying than I'll ever be Mm -hmm. that's just a crazy thought They've surpassed me like threefold. I'm not even close to as good of a flyer as competent. Um, but they don't know how to skydive yet. So I still <laughs> got them on that one. But it's fun to see, right? I love that. Yeah. They're coming for that. you. They, you better be careful. They're coming for you. <laughs> well, it's happening. It happened this weekend. <laughs> I'm They're so already excited. starting. I'm so pumped for Sam. I'm again, shout out, Sam. Like, I'm so pumped for you. Like, you're, I mean, that's the first instance that I've seen it though, too. And like, I mean, I don't work for the tunnel anymore, but he was one of the first kids that like really got into it at Minneapolis. And then to see him continue on with it through skydiving, that's the first instance. Uh, maybe the second instant. Megan Guntinston was, I'm not saying her last name right. Megan Guntinston. Yeah, I know. She's sure great. It. Yeah, she was the first instance of where we saw it translate over, you know, but um, as like a kid, you know, like a kid learning in the tunnel. Um, But Sam had more experience at the tunnel, more time at the tunnel, you know, like he was younger. So it's just it's really cool to see. You're absolutely right. There's about like, a dozen kids right now that I've 
and they're young adults. I don't know what I'm saying kids. These young adults that I was training a decade ago are just mm-hmm. now being are legally old enough to skydive. So I bet in the next two, three years, I'll jump with a dozen or so mm-hmm. of my friends that I coached when they were yep. young children to now skydive. Do you think Sydney's going to skydive? Uh, probably. She's awesome at everything. Literally everything. Time will tell. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So you'd mentioned competition here history. Let's talk just a little bit about that. Because ideally, at some point, I have both you and Josh, like, give a better, bigger, like, fleshed out version of this, like, talking more about your competition here, history, and, like, really specific ways. Um, But like, let's just do like a brief overview really quick of some of the areas you've competed in within the world of indoor skydiving and outdoor skydiving. You can talk even about big way stuff too, as well, like big way records, stuff like that. So yeah. Um, Yeah. Hone in, help me stay on track. I would say (laughs) um, back in the flyaway days, you would do best trick. Okay. And so all the instructors would like get in the tunnel during our Mm -hmm. staff flight time And you would just top it out and sit on the side (laughs) and there's only enough room to fly one person at a time. Mm -hmm. Well, to do your demo at a time. So you jump in the wind while everyone was cheering you on and you'd like huck whatever your crazy trick was and mostly just smash into the wall and like have some (laughs) gnarly fall. But you just take turns going back and forth. And it was kind of like playing horse and basketball where someone would like make a shot and then you'd have to copy and copy them and, and do something better. Mm -hmm. And that's how I grew up for years. So like, wasn't a formal competition, but it was always bragging rights to see who could do like the biggest, craziest trick, just one-on-one with everyone watching you. Like the end of the staff day in fly away, you'd clean the building and shut the door. And then the whole staff would go fly managers, the owners, like everyone would go fly the front, like the, the people that were checking in, everyone, everyone would go fly and you would just take your turns doing some crazy trick and then get out. And that's what you did. That's what I did for years. So fast forward, we go to the uh, Sky Venture Tunnel and they start, they're starting to form more specific events like VFS, two-way formation, two-way VFS, four-way VFS. There's obviously four-way belly, four-way FS. We had introductory tunnel events and um, with all the mentors and like big, huge, crazy names in the industry that worked there when I started and it, being one of the only three fast vertical wind speed tunnels like in the world, we had a huge draw mm-hmm. for a number of years in the, you know, 2010-ish plus or minus a few years yeah. where we were like an internationally traveled facility for people to come for a free flight training. And as those started to develop, I was coaching there and was competitive and wanted to always push my flight skills. And I would say the, th- the, the biggest disciplines I got into was like solo free fly or mm-hmm. freestyle. I it's changed and evolved names over time. So I'm not sure what it is, but like in the tunnel, I would do freestyle or free fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would do two way VFS with Josh, which was one of my huge, most best, biggest accomplishments ever and a ton of time and dedication. Sometimes that would require routine <laughs> or a free sour team based on how it was held. Okay. I also did four-way VFS, dynamic two-way eventually into dynamic four-way. And I was on a traveling team, Pantene Cartel. And then I did many different <laughs> variations Pantene of play. Cartel. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. like the shampoo Pantene Cartel. Yeah, best hair in the biz. Every, 
Tacho and I had the best hair ever. Oh, that's awesome. That's the best takeaway from this entire episode. I'll have to show you the shirt sometime. (laughs) Pantene Cartel. Yeah, Pantene Cartel was our four-way dynamic team and VFS team. We did both. For like two years, we traveled and flew every new 14-foot tunnel, did a crap load of training time, and then would go compete in whatever IBA comp there was in four-way VFS and four-way dynamic. Yeah. And... So I did a lot of those uh, disciplines as a competitive team in the open class and many, many different player coach teams um, in the same class. I think a a crazy story. I at Virginia Beach, they had a massive televised, like a internet televised competition. It was one of the coolest best run competitions I've been to at Virginia Beach. Um, Wow. They had a crazy operation, great wind tunnel, great facility. And I signed up for every event I could possibly do for the competition day. Uh, and the only event I didn't do was four-way FS, four-way belly. And I flew 36 competitive rounds in one day. And I was there at like 4 a.m. and didn't stop competing till like 1 a.m. The next day I did 30. And I did two different dynamic teams, intermediate, and one dynamic, two-way dynamic team open one four-way dynamic team open, a VFS team, freestyle, and two-way VFS. So I was like doing eight rounds of something, six rounds of another. And uh, yeah, that was the year. Josh and I won gold for VFS. I got second in freestyle and then medaled in a few of the other events um, as player coach or open team, which was just like an insane, crazy thing. But Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who was doing that. I was in a helmet and a suit running from there were rounds when I was just staying in the tunnel for four-way dynamic to mm-hmm. fly a solo freestyle round to stand for a four-way VFS round. That's nuts. That's yeah. nuts, dude. Yeah, that was my <laughs> I Fly Virginia com- competition event. So Alyssa, actually, in her episode, she had made mention about how the two of you, like your goal is to go to a tunnel comp or to a skydiving. I can't remember if it was tunnel or skydiving, but to like to compete nationals, to compete in all the, and I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Is that nationals indoor or national, like outdoor nationals? Oh, I'm obsessed with skydiving. I want to go outdoor nationals for four weeks. It's going to be a spendy year. (laughs) That's Sam. I'm good. That's why I do what I do. I am going to be able to go with Alyssa and our trailer and the dogs. And my a dream for me, a once in a lifetime dream for me is to go to nationals and compete in every single event that I can with Alyssa and then bring in our friends or other people to do, you know, freestyle or MFS or four-way. And we have all those teams set up already. She has a four-way mm-hmm. team. We can do freestyle and MFS. I'll do speed. I'll do, if Canopy's there, I'll do it. But if not, it'll just be focused on the body, body flight events. We'll do four-way belly. We're like, we're going to do all of it. <laughs> you going to do the speed star ones too? Hell yeah. Of course, <laughs> speed star. What about like eight-way and 16-way? Would you just do like a, like a pickup I team? I think or? we could pull up, it'd be pickup team, but we'll do it. And I'll just stay at Skydive Chicago or Eloy for a month, four <laughs> weeks and do every competitive event I can. I can oh do. That's God. like my dream life vacation. Someday, man. You'll do it someday. It's going to happen sooner <laughs> than later. All right. So let's talk about like big way stuff for just a second. Like let's like, what are some of the more notable big way records, big way events that you've been a part of? 
Um, the, the biggest and the last time I did stuff was oh, quite a while ago. It was for the 138 way state record or world record, mm -hmm. but the Illinois state record was actually 142 way. So <laughs> that's the, that's the biggest formation I've, I've been on. And that was in 2012 or 13. Um, and then prior to that had done a bunch of training camps, um, yeah, I don't know. I bet I bet I have a hundred skydives that are a hundred ways or more. Head down. No shit. Yeah. I have, yeah, I have a hundred skydives that are a hundred way or more. All I did for two years was go on the the boogie tour. Oh yeah, I suppose. Well, I don't know how many. Maybe it's like over sixty that I have a hundred. I have a hundred jumps that are sixty ways or bigger. Okay. So I don't think they've done that that much. And then after then, I just randomly get invited. Zach would always push me or Risberg would always push me. They're like, come to this Elsinore event and do big yeah. way. I'm like, all right, I'll go out. And I mm -hmm. just randomly sign up for some kind of camp that was two or three plane formations. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of jumps there. And um, to get to that place, what I'd share with people is it takes dedication and time and complete focus where for a year or two of your skydiving career, the only thing you're doing is traveling to big way events to get the skill to be on a record. You're, and honestly, it wasn't, uh, it was type two fun. Mm -hmm. So, you know, type one fun is fun in the moment. Type two fun is when you look back on it, you're like really proud of that accomplishment, but in the moment you're scared or it isn't fun. It's more stressful. Mm -hmm. I would say it was type two fun, but for about two years of my life, the only skydiving I did ever, and it was many, many tryout camps and travel because I was transitioning from a tunnel rat to a jumper. This was while I was going through the boogie tour phase, mm -hmm. um, was just, just to do that. And I think I, my first 60 way, I had 200 skydives or like 210 skydives. <laughs> and I went to Eloy and I was on 60 way head down jumps yeah. with 200 skydives flying a one like a 170 saber two yeah it's crazy in one week yeah and i wouldn't advise this but in one weekend i went for my largest formation ever being like a sloppy full playing track of 18 people to like an organized free fly group of you know one plane to two plane to a 68 way or 69 way in one weekend so it was like compound pounding and it, it was it was pretty crazy and you just got to dedicate a lot of time to it. It's a a lot of discipline. It's a lot of type two fun. And to get on a record, you takes a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. I can't, I, I understand exactly what you mean, especially if you're not from like one of the hubs, you know, if you're yeah. not from like the hubs that put those, those events on, on a regular basis, it's really hard to, to break into that. So like, it's very much time, energy, money, travel, all that stuff. Like I hear you. Um, what's it like coaching your spouse? <laughs> Cause, uh, <laughs> I know for a lot of people, myself included, because I've been in this situation, uh, it's really hard to learn, uh, from your, from your significant other when, you know, in a stressful situation like this, like it's, it's hard to learn from your significant other. Cause it's so loaded, you know, like that experience is so much more loaded than, you know, the average instructor student, you know, relationship. And, especially when you have to be critical of your spouse's performance, you know, like that can really create like 
headbutting, you know, more often than, than the average situation, you know? So like, what is it like having a student in like an instructor student relationship with your spouse like that, you know? And like, how do you manage all that other stuff with Alyssa? She's going (laughs) to, I don't know how she's going to react to this question, but I mean, having watched you guys for three years, you know, in the tunnel, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. I, you're totally right. I, for me, wouldn't pick anything else. I trust myself and I know her uh, abilities well and just have so much care and love for her to be great at it in an easier, better way and a faster, more efficient way than I learned that the struggles of communicating are butting heads. Um, I can, we deal with super well to get her where she's at. Alyssa is probably one of my best students for sure. Like she's amazing at flying and skydiving and all disciplines and is growing. Um, but it is stressful and it hones your coaching to like be positive and precise and simple. And it helps you, uh, you know, as you get better at it, control your ego. It's not for everyone. I don't know. I don't think I can think of anyone that trains their spouse right now. Like I can't even name one person Mm -hmm. that I know does that in the wind tunnel and skydiving. I can't think of someone, but for us, um, it's worked out really, really well. And it's been awesome for her to grow. And she like loves skydiving way before we ever met and was already an accomplished AFF instructor and a, a medalist in FS, which was super crazy and cool to see. And then we just kind of elevated it into other, other disciplines. Um, you got to be positive, which isn't always the easiest. You got to take your time. You got to have a good plan. And it's hard too, because you put so much pressure on your, on your significant or or any student you care a lot about, you put pressure on them, whether you know it or not. And it's kind of like, you got, you got to keep it fun and recognize to back it up. So like, I'll always talk, talk about my coaching pyramid or triangle for decision-making is make sure it's safe, make sure you're having fun. And if they're having fun, then teach them something. And if at all times the choices or the coaching techniques you're giving someone accomplish those things, then you're in like the flow state. Yeah, I'm a big student of flow state. I'm a big student of replicating that. And the mm-hmm. times when I was learning the best with, I almost think I like a massive majority were with Josh, but is when we were thinking up cool new maneuvers or pushing our limits. And it was just fun. We were in this environment where time didn't matter. We, there was no stress. It was just this creative experience to like push our limits and to replicate that for students means you need to keep that in mind and not mm-hmm. put your pressure on them. Yeah. I mean, is that Bert in the back or is that Beulah? It's all three. <laughs> um, I, so, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but from an outside perspective, it seems like this particular uh, student instructor relationship that you have with your with your wife, you know, like that. I mean, I guess I don't know how prevalent it is these days, but it was definitely a thing like just a few years ago, or or back when you guys um initially got married and were dating and stuff in, in Denver, uh, uh, being able to have like a functional relationship with that, like that, like a, a instructor student relationship with somebody you're so close to and, and so intimate with like having success with that, that, 
uh, student instructor relationship is a huge success. Like it is so un unlike anything else. And I would, I dare say, I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but like, I dare say that that could be construed, like seen as one of your greater accomplishments. Cause nobody fucking does that. Nobody, nobody, like nobody does that. And I, and I think of all the couples that I've seen in just the last few years, like they don't like the, the instructors or the teachers in those relationships don't teach their significant others. They actively are like, do no, I am not going to teach you. You go learn from uh, any one of these other people because you're not going to listen to me. You're not like, you're going to get mad at me. Like you're going to tell me to get the hell out of the wind or, or get away, you know, like that is a very unique experience that I don't know gets enough attention in, in my opinion. Um, right. Like to be able to, I mean, cause I, I've also seen, in addition to all the successful moments that I've seen you guys have in the past, like what, four or five years, uh, in the wind, I've also seen you guys have situate or have moments just like, you know, I would have with my significant other, or I've seen those, those instances too, as well. Or um, anytime a front flip needs to happen. <laughs> front layouts. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but, but a vast majority of those instances, I mean, the, like the fact of the matter is, I mean, I don't know how she would feel about me saying this, but the fact of the matter is, is like when I, when she initially left for Denver, she was like, I remember what type of flyer she was. And then after she came or after yeah. I, after I came back to, or came to Denver for FITP, it was a completely different flyer, like a completely different, like, like so many different skill skills, like under her belt, you know, and to have, and from my understanding is she learned primarily from you. Right. Like she like you were one of her primary instructors. So so to have I, I would say only. A, OK. OK. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know how she feels about this and she might contest all of this later For on. Free but, fly like pre. Yeah. yeah pre tunnel. Yeah. I, yeah. She yeah. had lots of great instructors. But once mm -hmm. we got into the hardcore tunnel yeah. phase of things, yep. I would say it's ninety nine point nine percent me. I, I would honestly say for both of you, like that would from where I'm standing, that looks like a huge achievement that you guys have such a functional working like instructor student relation relationship between the two of you, because that doesn't that doesn't happen. Like nobody does that. No one is capable of doing that or or there's a very small number of people out there who are capable of having a healthy, you know, relationship like that. So like from my from where I'm standing, I commend you guys like that's very impressive. Very Thank interesting. You. It's very interesting too. Like to she's see, the best. To see that happen. Yeah, Alyssa, you're the best. We love you. We love you, and, Alyssa. And you're a really good flyer too. And you're a really good flyer. She's she's put a lot of time in and has er earned it for sure. And then we utilized slash uh, took maximum advantage of my benefits at the tunnel mm -hmm. to get her to fly as much as we could. And, I, and we love that. That's our hobby. It was my career. It was my source of income for 16 years. So we took advantage of it a lot. And uh, there's still a lot of room to grow. Yeah. Like, I, I would say that, you know, we're still working on introducing angle flying into the mix and like helping her grow to that new um, phase of movement. It's coming along. but. Mm -hmm. uh, She's got all the tools to be incredibly safe in any discipline. And for someone who's never worked as an instructor, it's it's absurd. She's at yeah. an elite level of flying. And, you know, nowadays what's wild is there is no competition. There is no leadership or training in modern wind tunnels and USI fly. 
So no one knows how to do VFS or MFS or four-way FS. No one knows how to do two-way dynamic or Mm four-way dynamic. It's just not, they're not hosting competitions. Yeah. Right? Those don't exist. And so it's really hard to get the training and the leadership and the flight time um, to have four instructors go in the tunnel and do that on their on their staff time and then to go train their students to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's even nowadays that you're it's going to be less and less likely that those things will be learned and taught and coached. So you know, just a crazy thing that Alyssa is in this place to compete and fly in all those things mm-hmm. at a variety of difficulty levels in the sky too. Mm-hmm. and be competent. So we were in a really unique position to let that happen. So there's a lot of luck that went into it and a lot of hard work and a lot of time spent at the tunnel mm-hmm. um, to get there. But yeah, she's awesome flyer and coaching your wife's not easy, but <laughs> it will make you a much better coach and it will strengthen your relationship or end it. Yeah. It won't do anything in the middle. Do anything in the middle. It's no, it won't. One end of the spectrum or the other. Yep. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's totally true. So, anyway, I commend you. It's very impressive. Uh, moving on, though. Um, so, like anybody that you ask, consider, I mean, a little bit of like a pump you up moment here. <laughs> uh, everyone I know considers you a rock star in body flight, like in the body flight world, like, and rightly so. Like, you've earned it after so much time and dedication and experience in this sport, like both indoor and outdoor. But I'm curious, like in your opinion, what you struggled with in like the long, the you know, like the long span of, of time that you've, you've been in this. Like I asked this question though, and I ask it of people that I admire or that I've learned from, or that I consider a mentor, because I think it's important that people like me or people who are, you know, starting out on this, on this journey, I think it's important for people who are learning to, or who want to be what's the word, aspiring flyers, right. Um, who get easily discouraged when they struggle with things. Like, I think it's important to like, uh, what's the word, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, humanize, humanize. <laughs> it's important. Yeah, okay. to hu- It's important to humanize like our, our mentors, you know, like what did, like even the best of the best have their own struggles, uh, with, with similar experiences that, that, your everyday flyer is, is having right now. So like, in your opinion, what did you struggle? Like, what were the more difficult things that you struggled with, you know, in your, in your progression, like in your, all your time in the sport, like, is there one or two things or is it more of like a, a mindset thing or a skill set? Like, what do you think? Um, injuries was a big struggle. Okay. So I had a torn Achilles that took me out for a long period of time. I also had a, a right knee repair that I call a right knee explosion. So I don't have a good leg. Like my good leg is my Achilles surgery leg. And so just taking a lot of time out of the sport. Um, it was about 11 months or so for one and about a year for the other mm-hmm. um, at two separate periods of time. Um, and coming back physically uh, and second guessing yourself and taking things slower was really hard, hard mentally and emotionally and physically. Um, took a bunch of hard work and things hurt and don't work as good as they used to, but that, that's a big struggle. I think, um, a really, a really weird part and for sure a struggle is getting over or graduating or evolving from being the best and having an ego in competition or tunnel or demo 
or jumping or swooping or whatever it is of like my purpose was to be the best and beat everyone in the events we were good at. And due to age or injury or lack of training or changing lifestyle choices, that's that's not an attainable thing permanently. Mm-hmm. And you have to, to be successful and happy and fulfilled, you're g- going to have to evolve into a next layer of life as a teacher, an educator, or a coach. And I think that's a str- um, was a struggle being at that um, level, but not a not a big one. Just like a thing to get used to that was weird, you know. Mm-hmm. And seeing my students go through that and finding happiness in their success um, ultimately was more fulfilling than who who cares what 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 medal you get. Yeah. But it's like, how much fun did you have with your friends at that event? Yeah. That's yeah. what you remember. And that's what I care about. It's the impact. Yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. impact that, that, that you leave in those different areas. Like I get it. Okay. Um, I'd say I, sh- I struggle with still when it, when I can't help a student find success. And I think um, nowadays it just comes down to personalities or communication style. Mm-hmm. And I think I have, I think I'm a little bit better at saying no and being more precise with the amount of patience and time I'm willing to give mm-hmm. certain students. Um, and so there are going to be some people that work better with others. And I've always struggled with having to like, I've struggled with my entire flight and coaching career, like not being able to be the best for every student. And so okay. sometimes I would like hard push and just struggle and grind with a student to get them good and they may have been a better fit with someone else because of that ability to explain something better or maybe just because they trusted you more Mm -hmm. you know and that was a struggle too to not like want to take all the best students and all the best coaching and all the best you know income and all the best jumps for me because I had an an ego and this was a while ago but I reflect on that being a struggle like recognize when maybe you're not a good fit with someone just purely because of personalities. And that's okay. You're not going to get along with, with everyone as a coach. You can be polite and have respect and, you know, um, have good communication, but you may just not be a best coach for whatever reason. And that's okay. And I struggle with that a lot. And even, you know, having a student hit their elbow on the tunnel wall or having a student come in and land funny and like, not flare the right way or catch a weird gust of wind and just feel stupid because they didn't, they didn't do it. Like that hurts me. That bothers me to this day still where I'm like, man, if only I would have explained something better or said it in the right way or hold them off that jump um, because they weren't, it wasn't appropriate for them to be there or ended up just being a waste. Like, I hate that. I hate wasting time. I hate wasting money. I hate wasting fun. I hate mm-hmm. wasting good vibes. And so I uh, I really struggle. Right now, I struggle a lot with load organizing, just in general. Okay. And, and, and there's an incredible amount of pressure on me, I think, f- from myself to make sure things are... This is really interesting. I felt that this weekend where I want everyone to have a good jump and I know what they should be training and doing. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what kind of jump they should be on, but sometimes it's not what they want to do. And then you struggle with 
exit order and people showing up late and who wants to jump with who. And some people aren't being paid for coaching. Others are paying for their jumps. But it's like, you know, you get on the plane and you have that person saying, oh, I'm doing solo free fly, sit her head down, or I'm doing solo track. And that that one shouldn't be happening, in yeah. my opinion. And there should be an employee or a coach or a Lodi organizer at the drop zone helping to make that never a thing yeah. so that the group's safer, you know? And so a lot of times I'm like on a load and I have some awesome angle jump prepped mm -hmm. with our crew. And then someone shows up like solo head down and I'm like, ah, you're not going to do that. Like I'm going to yeah. take you on a coaching jump because I'm a load organizer on this load and my five-way angle can go be a four-way angle and take it off jump run and get out of everyone's way because I trust them and they're fantastic. And mm -hmm. we're going to do something safe for us. And no, you're not solo head down tracking a jump run. And I don't say it that way, but yeah. it's this awesome, cool, fun, positive coaching conversation of reframing it to say, let's do something great. I'm going to get you good video and coach you. And we're actually going to learn something awesome this time but I don't want you getting hurt or affecting my friends. And so I, sh I struggle for like standing up and saying that all the time. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm not really asked to do that. I'm not mm -hmm. a paid employee. I'm not a paid load organizer, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And so there's that, that fine line of like judging when or how much energy I have that day to do that, but it's, I can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I under, I understand. That's there's a, tough. There's a huge um. We're at the it, tunnel. It's, yeah, it's it is it is hard when it is just who you are naturally. You've been doing it for so long; it's just second nature to keep thinking like that. But at the same time, it's like you said, you're not being paid to do this. You are sacrificing your jump and the money you're paying for your skydive to go and you know do a two way with somebody. Uh, Ellie, I get it. That's that's hard. Like that, I feel you. I feel you on that. And then it, the same thing to the tunnel. That yeah. is that is soul crushing for me. That's mm -hmm. really hard. That's, so those are my struggles now is, is that. But I think letting go of ego, putting a lot of time and effort in, keeping your body healthy, mm -hmm. trying to have differentiated instruction for your students as a coach in the sky or the tunnel. Those are all really hard things and struggles that I went through and just kind of like an evolution of of where I'm at now. And if, if you're like, if you're an a, aspiring flyer who really wants to do this full time, I think like you need to go work at a drop zone or a wind tunnel and you need mm -hmm. to do it at the right stage of life and with the right responsibilities to, to cut away. Like if you want to be a professional in the sport, you need to go work in a tunnel or at a drop zone or both yeah. full time for a number of years when you can be a uh, I endearingly say this, but a skydive dirt bag. <laughs> I mean, that was my next question. That was kind of what we were going to say. Or trust fund, into. baby. Or trust fund. Well, I mean, I don't know how many of us can become that. Uh, or be born. Yeah, be born yeah, a trust fund. Be born baby. into it. Or I endearingly say, go be a skydive tunnel dirt bag. Yep. And cut away. Yep. That's if you want to be a pro. That is that is the only way to do. But we've it is. Done. It is like. Um, and, and it and, totally is. And not, and, and I would say you can, you, I love fun jumping and, and like fun jumpers, 
but the metrics of like and the expectations of what you're going to achieve, mm-hmm. it should be different and should be communicated differently. If you want to be on big way head down jumps, that's going to take an immense amount of tunnel time and money and training and dedication and risk mm-hmm. to get to that level. You don't achieve that. You won't achieve that at a s- small drop zone with no tunnel time. Yep. And, and it should be framed that way. And it's okay to do that. I have a crap load of friends who just love coming in and goofing off in the tunnel. That is awesome. I wish I was that happy as they are flying in the tunnel, goofing off all the time. They love it, but I'm not putting expectations on them and they don't have it of themselves to go do big way skydives, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. And I don't care if they do or not. I enjoy, there's a reason I'm not doing big ways as much or at all anymore. I want to go do fun free fly jumps in small groups with low stress. Yep. Usually. That's yeah. typically what I feel like doing now. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. I feel you on the, on the cutting away thing. Like there are things that I want to do. Like there are, there are goals that I've always had that I know I've want, always wanted to accomplish, but it, now things are shifting in life. And I feel like I've missed the window to like go and just go full send into it, you know, uh, because I don't want to cut away from, from certain things outside of the skydiving community. Some major and, benefits you know? to not doing that. Yeah. So, so I feel you like there was a, there's a window of time where I struggled with that too. Like struggled with the the realization that like, I missed the window or maybe the window has, you know, passed me by a little bit. Um, yeah, I feel you. And that's okay. Do, do what makes you happy and have fun with it and find the people in the sport that'll support you in that in a great mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I feel that's you. great. Um, so in your opinion though, like what's, we're going to, we're going to change tactic or change tracks here. Uh, in your opinion, what's the most significant change we've seen as a community across like the last decade and a half? here like you've had your hands in a whole bunch of different areas you know you've seen like the ebb and flow and change of time you know in these sports like I'm curious about what you think what you think is one of the bigger most significant changes um I think there's a bunch I think you know in my time, I've seen the wind tunnel change a lot. Mm-hmm. I've seen gear change a lot. I've seen a precision and an awareness of coaching change a lot. I think most of the things, many of the things are for the better mm-hmm. um, and have helped people enjoy the the sport more um, across the board. And I just like it to keep I would like it to keep getting easier and better for people to fly, whether it's sky or tunnel. And I think Mm -hmm. things like economy make that harder. Access with airports and restrictions make that easier or harder. Politics with wind tunnel make it easier or harder. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I don't know. There's just, yeah, the change. Change is going to be constant, but I don't know. That's a really difficult one. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned all the really big ones, like the tunnel. <laughs> I can hear the, the puppies are like <laughs> boofing in the back. Like tell the about my team sometimes, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you've, you've mentioned, you mentioned and touched on all the really big ones that seem to come up a lot. Um, you know, the technology, wind tunnel, uh, coaching, coaching standards, co- coaching methodologies, like those are all huge, massive changes just in the last, I would say 
five, 10 years, you know, um, where we're yeah. saying like it's, there's been um, a massive cultural shift too, in terms of what skydiving is, you know, to a lot of people, it used to be like this dirt bag thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that when I first started, that's what it was. It was like people living on drop zones and like just being general dirt bags at the drop zone. You know what I mean? And like now it's totally. not like that. It's not at least in the drop zones that I've been a part of, you know, and then like with the advent of the wind tunnel, you know, like uh, maybe you can speak about that like a little bit is the cultural shift that we've seen across the board where it's now more about opportunities you know? Yeah. It's the culture has shifted in a bit and it's grown. I think there's just more disciplines too. And there can be more clicks. There can be more like people yep. kind of feel what, what they like more. And I love when I go to places, I had one of the most awesome drop zone experiences at uh, Des Moines skydivers in mm -hmm. Iowa were for a boogie. Like they're, Labor Day boogie, yeah. where it was like the best of everything I've ever experienced. Shout out to all you guys, like Jake Sparks and Brandon Stevens and Jag, uh, Sathia, like all my friends out there. You go to this awesome drop zone, have mm -hmm. great jumps, well-organized community. Uh, it's like a club sport owned drop zone still. And they have potluck at the end of the night. Everyone's included. All the jumpers like organize dive flows where they like work together they're very specific about safety and like landing direction and consistent with the rules and mm -hmm. people like take care of each other and look after each other and you hang out and have beers after and it's a good time yeah. and like that's what i love and would want more of and i've had those at skydive mesquite where i learned back in the day i've had excellent awesome time at my home drop zone skydive twin cities having days like that um all over the all over the place and uh I, I love that. I bring that up because a change is as the disciplines have segmented into like super specific parts. There's like just belly jumpers. There's just free flyers. There's just angle flyers. There's just wing suitors. And then there's just tandems and there's just AFF, mm -hmm. right? There's like all these, and then there's solo students. And it's like, they tend to like not talk to each other. Yeah. Just because of the time and where they're at on the plane and how focused they are on their jump and the length of time and money it takes to get from one to the other. And it's, I think it's, uh, I don't know, as a community creator in the sky and tunnel, the drop zones and tunnels I work at, to try and have some effort to bring those, all those people together, it, hopefully for a jump, but if not on a jump, then at least in the community on the ground. Like I'd love to, I would love to see more of that, but I think a challenge is that I, I noticed that at yeah. a lot of places and it'd just be, uh, cool to keep the community vibe as best as you could. Yeah. I feel come out to skydive Midwest. <laughs> I love like, it. It's like one of the, one of the first things I noticed about this place I was like, this is a family and it's not just the staff. It's like the fun jumpers too. Like this is a very much a family of people. It's a community. So yeah. Come, come I love that. Visit. Come on and visit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, we're this next thing we're going to talk about, we could talk about this at great length. Okay. And this is probably going to be one of the last things we talk about and we can go into in depth as much as you want. Um, but just know that I'd also like you to have like come back on here at some point and talk with maybe Josh at the same time yeah. about this. Um, 
let's talk about methodology behind communication. You know, as an instructor in the wind, out out of the wind, in the sky, all that stuff. Like communicating with your students effectively. This is probably, I'm going to start this and preface this with, this is something that was completely changed for me working at the tunnel and working with you, um, listening to you and like listening to the things that you had to say about this, watching you. I think I learned more watching you and like observing uh taking the things that you talked about and applying it to every instructor that I ever drove for or watched from afar, you know, in the tunnel, like changing how, like the key to effect or effectively communicating with your students, right? Like that, that concept and all the things that went along with it, I feel like revolutionized my intentions and my method as, as an instructor. And there's still so many places that I want to go with it you know, and like so many things that I have, like so many goals that I have set for myself and what, what I'm capable of doing. Um, but like, let's talk about that for a second. Like, let's, what, what's the ultimate goal here in your, in your, um, opinion, you know, in terms of like effectively communicating with your students, what's the ultimate goal? I think that it takes practice and time and you have to be a student of your art form. I think you need to have a good progression laid out in your head and philosophy for like how you teach people. You need to watch your video of yourself instructing and coaching people outside video. If you're in the tunnel, like watch your first time flyer video, watch your league video and gain a higher level of awareness of, of what you look like. So you gotta be a student of the game. Mm -hmm. You need to like, you need to obsess over what's happening in the tunnel and just put a lot of time and thought into it to develop these things. Mm -hmm. So it's not a one-off instant answer. It's that you got to put a time into it because how you coach and what you want your students to learn mm -hmm. um, can depend on your body, your physical ability and your preferences, just why coaches can be different and why you need to teach people things differently. There is a lot more than one way to teach people how to fly. And that's a big problem right now with how things are set up in mm -hmm. the current tunnel world. There's a lot more. There's many great ways to teach people to fly. And the best way is, is probably something slightly unique or tweaked to them. Yeah. So take all that in mind. You got to be a student of the game and actually put time into watching yourself on video for years to craft what your thoughts are. Mm -hmm. That being said, if I have a good uh, student come to the tunnel, you want to keep things simple. You want to coach the positive and have a really good, simple laid out plan to have effective progress. So I'd say shout out to all my friends at Detroit who have been getting to hear this message a lot. But I think about shaping a tunnel session, like where you start off with a warm up skill something they're familiar with and signed off for and good at, and you have fun with them. Then you have a working skill where you're pushing the boundaries and limits of what they're trying to achieve. That may include spotting or something stressful or wind speed adjustments. And then you have a cool off or fun skill that you finish with. Mm -hmm. And I really think people need to apply this coaching theory to anything physical, but specifically with the wind tunnel, where you say, hey, Sam, like, I know you're working on dynamic today. Why don't we get in and just do some transitions and docks to head down for your warm up round? 
then we're going to fly a dynamic line for your working drills. And the moment I start to see fatigue or tiredness or confusion to the point where we're not gaining ground, we're going to switch to something fun and cool off, and then we'll catch up in the break. Mm -hmm. And you just like need to apply that warm up part to a training session, a working skill and a cool off skill. And the cool off and the cool off skill could happen in the round three or round four, or it could come early based on how the, the student's performing. And as an instructor or coach, you need to shape that really, really well because you have a good philosophy and a good progression mm -hmm. for them where you can like push the limit safely where they're never getting hurt or mm -hmm. like them having a, a failure almost is rare, right? Yeah. And it's to, it's to keep them in that flow state. People are going to learn the fastest or the best in a flow state. And that's like a mix of when you're asking them to operate at their highest level that they can, like they're so dialed in and focused, but it's not exceeding their ability. If you break yeah. that and they feel failure, then they leave the flow state and become disappointed, frustrated, confused. So learning what that edge is with each, each student, how do you, how do you communicate with a student effectively, know their ability, know what their ultimate goal is, and then shape their sessions around this warm up skill, working skill and a cool off skill where you can push their goals safely, mm -hmm. where it requires like minimal spotting with the right timing. If, if you're catching someone moving into the wall, you're like already late. That was already, yeah. you should have cut back to something else. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say if we're talking about communicating to students, well, there's a, a lot that goes into it. And you got to know what your student wants too. That's yeah. a big part of the brief. When someone comes in a asking them and thinking about and getting to know like what they want out of the wind tunnel or what their, what their end game is, is really important. And a lot of times, you know, they'll have a goal in mind. Jumpers usually do, whether that's angle or, or vertical or big way. And you need to completely shift the progression to, to fit that goal. You yeah. need to totally shift and change your approach and then apply that system to it to get there. Some people show up, um, you know, you flew them in a first time class and loved it and they buy a return pack and come fly again. And then they're like, I can do this more. What do I do? And you just kind of walk them through mm -hmm. uh, a progression of belly back, sit head down or slow speed dynamic and some layouts based on what you enjoy teaching and what they seem to like. And then if they hit a point like learning head down off the net on the net or doing back layouts where they just get stuck and they're not learning a lot then you need to shift gears and recommend they try something else to expand their skill set and horizon to then maybe come back to it and have success. Yeah. I I hate beating a dead horse. Yep. So like if a student's not getting something you probably need to shift to a different skill. There was something missing in the progression before that that was lost or forgotten or never introduced or they never had the feeling of it. Um to figure it out really well. So like head down, out face carving, belly mm -hmm. carving, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the most complex uh, movements people will learn at a high speed, a lot of risk there, a lot of time that goes into it. There's so much that's required of a person to get that well uh, with belly flying and layouts and head down and fast wind speed, static flying and good bail skills and just confidence in the tunnel, having the right gear, right? Like if they're not getting it, 
mm-hmm. you probably need to go back to something else that's filling in the gap. Yeah. So how do you, how do you effectively communicate? I think um, another thing, a big coaching concept, right? You have the pattern, you shape the rounds. I also like to think about that uh, decision-making pyramid where I think about everything you do has to be safe no matter what for you and that. That is the foundation of every choice you make in this in the sky and the tongue. If you can't accomplish that, you fail. So that mm-hmm. is the primary thing that you have to have to be good at flying and to have fun flying. Yep. If you're doing that, then you can move to the second layer of like the pyramid where you should be trying to have fun and keep people engaged. You got to have fun doing this to want to spend this much money and time and take this risk to be in jumping or the tunnel. So you need to be having fun. You got to keep it fun. And then the top of the tree is like learning something or coaching them. Mm-hmm. And think about if you switch flip-flopped any of those. This is a big mistake people make. If safety is lost, then who cares about the other two? You or your student are going to get hurt. And then there is no flying, right? Mm-hmm. So that's obvious. But the one I see misplaced a lot or switched around a lot in the decision-making order is fun versus teaching them something. And I've been guilty of this many times for many years where I was like so set on teaching Alyssa something or a student that I was so focused on a diving head down dive or an outface car, for example, that I was making them do that. And I was beating a dead horse and they lost the enjoyment of it. Mm-hmm. And then they stopped flying yeah, or got defeated. Yeah. And that that's something that I wish I would have learned earlier when it comes to communicating as a coach, you need to keep this in mind and you need to keep the priority right where if you want to push something really hard, it needs to be very communicated and intentional and only for a small bit of time. And then you as the coach need to recognize there's no benefit out of it. And we're not having fun and you need to switch gears. It's okay to yeah. struggle, but it needs to be calculated and have a reason. Mm-hmm. And as the instructor, you need to be like, all right, buddy, cool off round. We're yeah. going to do high fives or fly a line again. Just follow me and let's rip for your last minute. And we'll worry about getting the outface piece later or the flip twist later. And you you got to do that. That's crazy. Coach the positive decision-making tree, sort your sessions, every 10 minute block have a very specific organization. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's actually a, a really good point to bring up the whole like flip-flopping of like learning new skills, but also having fun. You see so many people, um, who, or just have like this goal, like they're like, I gotta get sit flying down. I gotta get sit flying down, or I gotta get head down. Or head down, I would say, is the more common place that you see this. Like, I gotta get head down, down, and they hit a wall with their head down flying, and like they just it it like seems like they're just not figuring it out, and they get frustrated and they get angry. But you you see, you don't see enough instructors or coaches be like, okay, well, let's just like do something else, you know, like it's no, you know, but they also don't have that conversation with them. Like, yeah, it's good to have goals, but it's also like, if you're just like struggling hardcore all the time, 24 seven, you're going to get discouraged and you're not going to want to do this. Like, it's not going to be fun anymore. So that's a really good way to say it. And that's not something I guess I've thought about. Like I've, that's not a concept I've had at like the forefront of my mind, um, in a lot of instances. So it's, it's a good reminder. And then on top of that, like, so So the second thing I guess I wanted to say about this is like what you're, everything you just talked about, it all comes under or falls under this umbrella of planning, right? It's like 
planning when you're not at when yeah (laughs) when you're not at the tunnel when you're not in the wind like you're thinking about the student you just had and how you want to take it like you're at home I did this a lot I would go home and I'd be like okay so I know how I have these people on the books for tomorrow like what are the things that I'm going to have them do I had a little notebook for a while too like where I would just write it down so I wouldn't lose track of it and I wouldn't forget um like the three skills, the three skill idea, like you're going to have a hard, a medium and a low level skill. Like what are the skills we're going to be working on tomorrow? Where did we leave off? Like all those things. So like planning, see it, everything that you just said kind of falls under this umbrella of planning in some form or another. Would you say that's maybe accurate? Yeah, you're yeah. nailing it. And here's a funny little piece I'd share. It's like a, a saying I've learned. If I had more time, I would have prepared a shorter explanation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So two yep. things. Take all of this and digest it and internalize it and be a student of the game and watch your video and create a plan. But when you come to the student, two things, you don't need to explain to them any of this pyramid or any of your pattern or any of this words. Focus on just what they need to know to have an awesome session. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so internalize it. Don't over explain. Don't share what they don't need to know unless they're curious and growing into that place of knowing Mm -hmm. and keep it positive. Keep it simple and positive because there's only so much mental capacity for a person to to think in the wind tunnel. Mm -hmm. If they're going in and learning to do belly turn, you just tell them all they need to know to make a turn happen and you control the wind speed, the spotting, the entrance, the exit, the gear. Hey guy, get in the tunnel and I just want you to lean the way you want to go or however you teach it and then get in and instruct them in a way that it's successful the first time mm-hmm. and then they feel good and then they loosen up and then they pay attention better. You don't need to tell them any of this back end theory until it gets to a point that it's fun to have a conversation with the high level student about how that works. You just need to make them fly. They don't yeah. care how you're getting them to fly. They care that they do a layout. Yep. They don't need to know any of the, so that's hard. You don't confuse students. Keep it simple. I mean, that's a skill set all on its own that you have to learn just like anything else is like, how do I say the least amount of stuff to get you to understand what it is we're going to be doing? You know, like the less I tell you, the better off you're probably going to be. But how do I get to that point where I can say it in a condensed format you know, that's not going to confuse or send you off onto a weird tangent. I don't want you to be on, you know, like there's, that's a whole nother skill set all just by itself. And that's something you have to learn through, like you said, observational skills, planning, <laughs> talking to other people, talking to other people who know more than you, like, you know, like it's, it's all encompassing, but to switch gears just a little bit in terms of communication, like it's not just verbal. It's not just everything that's in, you know, prior to you getting into the wind or jumping out of the airplane. It's also what's happening when you're flying, right? So can you talk a little bit about that, about how to speak to each other in the tunnel, like body language, you know, hand signals, that kind of stuff? I I think a lot about um, mental programming, sometimes manipulation, but it's not to do something negative to someone. It's to create a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. So Coach the positive, coach someone what you want. In a jump or in the tunnel, you have so little time and it's so expensive when you're actually in the wind that you, I really feel like you should only be coaching and giving hand signals for what you want to happen because of the length of time you have and the money and the inconvenience it takes to get that airtime. So if you want someone to put their chin up, tell them chin up. 
very simple, very direct, no confusion. If your student trusts you and knows that when they do what you're asking them to do, they're going to get a better outcome, extrapolate that a year into a coaching relationship. Mm-hmm. If they know that when they respond to what you're giving them, it's going to help them fly better. How do you think they're safer? They're having fun. They're learning. Just everything builds momentum. And coaching the negative or telling them not to do something, like if a student's looking down at the net, telling them not to look down is, I think, a complete waste of time. Yeah. Okay. It may be good in a verbal discussion later with video outside of the tunnel if it's repeated a lot but i wouldn't waste my time doing that i would try to fix that by being a good coach yeah you don't have the time to coach the negative yep and so i think coaching the positive as a concept and a theory and a practice makes you an incredibly effective coach when it comes to um skydiving and the wind tunnel just yeah. because of the length of time you have to instruct someone in that environment i would say to um The second big thing that you can do with this like mental programming and communication programming is when you're giving a brief to your students that you've never met before, and when you're talking with them or that family walks in to do their first flights, you're you're speaking in a way and you're making eye contact. And as you say the things you're talking about with the hand signals, like you're going to have your chin up or you're going to straighten your legs. You just have this like silly, almost caricature or animated (laughs) body language where you're teaching them visual cues um, while you're speaking, your very first two minutes of meeting a student, so that when you get into the tunnel, it's not the first time they've seen you say, look this way. Mm -hmm. Like that's so, I never teach or talk about what that is or in the center or on heading Yep. or legs straight or come to me. I never talk about what that is or teach them what that word is. I just have spoken with them enough by the time they get through a progression with me where I'm in the tunnel and I coach the positive and they've seen it enough that if I tell someone this, yeah, by the time that's happening, they, oh, mm-hmm. to face away from the door or to get a good camera angle or to yeah. look at their spouse taking pictures of them because it looks cool and they want to show their friends later right so like the mental programming and coaching a positive uh for the wind tunnel are really really critical Mm -hmm. and if you have a good brief and are a student of the game and make a good plan for your students it tends to work out really well where your students just get where you're saying and get really good really fast because you are an awesome communicator and you were specific and concise and simple and obvious. And and watching the video too, how you give hand signals yep. gets better and better the more you mm-hmm. watch the video. And it needs to be simple and obvious and big. And if you don't know what you're saying on the video, watching yourself, there's your answer. Yep. There's, okay. So there's two things, like they're separate things. I wanted to talk about both. Like I wanted to add something about both of those part one and part two, essentially. Um, the coaching, the positive, right? Every single instructor in the history of history is, is a, is a, is a perpetuator of, of not doing the, or what's the word is, is guilty of not doing this, of like spending too much time on the negative or like trying to correct something by showing like, no, I don't want you to do this. I want you to do this, right? Like every single instructor in the history of of history has done this at some point. I know I have for years. um, Yeah. And 
And you're at like, like one thing to consider is that students will mimic everything they see. Like they will mimic. And this, I'm going to tell you it's a story and I, and I hope you remember, I hope you remember this because this is one of the first instances where this happened and it like made a core memory inside of me, essentially, like in the back of my brain where I never forgot it. Um, I had a student uh, who came in and zero skydiving skills, like never jumped out of a plane, never flown in a tunnel. He came in and was like, I want to do a front flip. Like, okay. <laughs> like, like, well, we, we can't do that today. I'm sorry. You know, like, like we have 10 minutes of time. We're probably not going to get to do a front flip. Right. And he's like, well, you know, this is like, I had to essentially talk him out of it. I remember coming to you and saying like, what do I say to this person to get him to not do this, um, to, to get him off of this, you know, tangent of like, I want to be on a sky or I want to do a front flip instead of working on belly skills for prepping for his skydive. That was going to happen, you know, a few, a few weeks later. Um, but at, in the tunnel, I had made this motion at him. Like, I don't remember if you know, if you remember <laughs> I this, know exactly where, where I was like, do it again. Right. Like he had done something. I forget what it was. Like he had done something on his belly where I looked at him and I was like, do it again. Right. And he saw it and he was like front flip and he did a front flip. And I was like, no. And like, it ended up being where I caught him. You know, I was frustrated because I was like, shit, he did do it. You and I went back to the, to the video later. You saw me do that hand signal and you're like, well, you just told him to front flip. And I was like, but I didn't. And you're like, no, but you did. Like, that's what that hand signal means. Like he saw that and saw like, like, was like, yeah, that's, that's a front flip. Like you, you told him to do it. So he did it. And I was like, ah, <laughs> you know, like just feeling so frustrated and defeated with the fact that like what I did and not being aware of how it looked you know, indicated to him, like, mis like basically produced a miscommunication about, about what he was supposed to be doing or how I was supposed to be teaching him in the talk, you know? So students will absolutely mimic everything that you see. And oftentimes when you, to bring it back, oftentimes when you coach the negative, they see what you're doing and they're like, okay, I did do that. Like, or yes, I will do exactly what you're asking me to do. And the wires get crossed and the miscommunication happens because they don't understand all they see is you looking down at the net and looking back up and looking down at the net and looking back up. That's all they see. So they're like, okay, like that's what I'll do. Right. Um, they don't really understand that you're saying, don't do this, do this instead. Right. Um, and then on top of that, it's a waste of time. Like you, you're wasting their time miscommunicating with them because now they're mimicking totally. the thing you don't want them to do, you know? So coach the positive Yeah. with the tunnel in the air, there's yep. a time for not and that's later, but not yep. while you're in the wind. Yep. And then, so the second, the second half of that, um, uh, what was the, sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was the second part of that explanation about? Um, coach the positive and then like the whole mental programming of demonstrating yeah, stuff okay. prior. Yes. Okay. So this is kind of like, this is what I equate this to when you first start skydiving and Gotcha. Um, so when you first start skydiving and stuff, you are actively going through the motions of like touching your handles all the time, right? So you touch your, you touch your, uh, oh God, your, yeah. your BOC, you touch your handles in the front. Like you're, I'm sure everyone's had this instance where they're wearing a backpack just in everyday life and they reach back and they touch their handles, <laughs> sure. right? Like that's, yeah. that's exactly what I equate this to is it's muscle memory, right? So you're, you talk about how you do this out of the wind while you're talking to people. Like it, it produces, it's doing two different things. In my opinion, what it's doing is like you using all of the hand signals while you're briefing somebody ahead of time, it's getting your muscle memory down. So it's second nature for you to keep doing this. But then on top of that, it's, it is hardwiring your person 
you know, like your student to react a certain way or to have a certain thought when they see that hand signal later on in the skydive or in the, in the tunnel. Right. So it's doing two things simultaneously and you're probably not aware of it. If it actually like having that, you know what I mean? Like when you're actually doing it, you're probably not aware of, of it having that impact, but it totally does. Like it's just, it's just a really curious thought. And I'm actually, there's gotta be a name for that. Like there's gotta be a name for that method, you know, of, you there, know what I mean? There has, like, there has, there has to, be. to be some sort of like name for that. I got to do some research and figure out what, <laughs> where that falls. What I've always wanted to do this, but what would be really fun is to put this to action and mm -hmm. do like a side video YouTube channel where you bring on different people to watch a tunnel session. Yeah. And people could submit theirs to you <laughs> and we can critique it from first okay. time flyers to dynamic or my old tunnel videos or my old Vegas videos or skydives. Mm -hmm. And you can like critique it from a coaching perspective, <laughs> like mystery theater 3000 or something <laughs> where you get Josh making fun of it and we can hash out coaching or you could talk about skydiving stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that'd be so useful, but the hard part is, you know, people have to agree to it and yeah. submit it. But I think that'd be wonderful. And mm -hmm. I, I, uh, a lot of this happened for me in that I was living with in a, as roommates with Josh, Derek Perkoski and Brett Chisholm, who were all high level four instructors in the same house for a period mm -hmm. of time where it would be the four of us doing four days straight of like 12 hour shifts on a holiday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yep. And then we go snowboard, but we were all together talking about the blocks we had and the students we had and the mistakes we've made or how we messed up a high flight or how we had a really good student or how we were late with the tunnel mm -hmm. or how much, you know, who tipped us or like, and so it was just this culture of like living and breathing, being excellent at our job and then having honest friends give you good feedback and like debrief your video yeah. to say like, man, you messed up. Mm-hmm. You, you need to do better or that was really awesome. You should do that again. Like, I can't mm -hmm. believe you landed this trick. Yeah. And so that, that was a big part of it, but community, okay. having a good community of people you're around to help watch video and mm -hmm. give good feedback. I hear you. Okay. That being said, I know you're running out of time, so I don't want to, I don't want to take any more of your time. Um, before we wrap up here, I just want to extend the invite to coming back on here again, because this has been a real, <laughs> this has been awesome. And I think everyone is really going to enjoy this episode. Anybody that listens is, uh, I know that there are several people who are, been, who have been like, why haven't you had Mike Silva on? It's like, it's just timing. Like it's going to happen. It's, it's, you know, so here it is guys. Um, we're grown up now. <laughs> well, I mean, we're both like, we're both, uh, both on crazy weird, uh, journeys at the moment. So just timing. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your time and spending spending a few hours with me chit-chatting and like learning more about, you know, your history. I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this a lot because there's like an area, there's like an air of mystery, you know, that surrounds uh, certain people in, in skydiving. And I think now we've had, the, <laughs> we've had the veil lifted just a little bit. So uh, the next time you come on, I would love to have you and Josh, you know, talking more about coaching methodologies or about your competition history, or maybe threading for anybody that doesn't know threading. Oh my God. That would be a lot of fun to talk about. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you all around, man. Like, I hope I see you back on here soon. I hope we can figure out some timing. I know Josh is like all on board. He's suddenly been, reintroduced back into uh recording and he's like it's like revitalized for him like him and brett are back at it you know so it's 
very exciting. I have a list of stuff I'd love to do. (laughs) And my like, my brain and stuff. I really hope this is valuable. If you like flying, I said this earlier, if you like flying, we're going to get along and be friends. And there's so much to share. And there's so much I wish I would have known about gear and what to focus on or what coaches to go to or how to set up exit order or how to exit a sit or what what should you be working on if you're not getting an outface carve or Mm -hmm. why are we doing slow speed? Like, I would love to chat more about these things that are making it difficult for the community to grow. Yeah, I'm really working hard on building some more tunnel communities at the Mm -hmm. tunnels I've been with. If anyone was in Sky Venture when we were doing VFS nights and huck jams and parties, if anyone was at iFly Minneapolis when I first started and we opened in 2018, 19, and had these crazy parties and like 80 people there uh, (laughs) on a weeknight to do FS, VFS, huck jams. Like that's going to come back. It has to. And I'd love to just share more tips and thoughts with people about that to like grow it. So, so it feels like uh, Des Moines Skydivers or it feels like Skydive Midwest. Mm -hmm. I would love for it to feel like that again. And there are some things on the horizon that would make that happen, but yeah, appreciate the invite. Let's do it. I'm all about it. Sweet. Uh, With that, we will, we will end it here. Thank you so much, Mikey. To everybody listening. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Uh, Blue skies, safe jumps. Peace out. Bye. Thanks, everybody. See you, Sam. See you later.